just as a quick refresh of what's going on, chapter 7 is probably one of the most concise and compelling history of Israel that's presented in the Bible. When Stephen lays out before the Sanhedrin this basically reasoned response against the false charges they've made against him, he starts back with Abraham and unfolds Israel's history. And I don't know of anything in Scripture that is uh, more like that covers more ground, but yet gets across the things that um, the Old Testament really was about. It, it, it talks about Joseph. He talks about Moses. And he talks about David and Solomon. He talks about the law. talks about the tabernacle. talks about the temple. I mean, like when you think, I, 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 if, I just, if I gave you the task, okay, I want you to go from Abraham and, and go through the prophets and I want you to, to lay out a concise history, only the Holy Spirit could have put something like this together. And remember, this is what is recorded. You know, we don't know that this was all that he said, but this was part of what he said for sure. But it's so concise and yet so compelling. And he's responding to four charges that were made against him. First of all, that he blasphemed Moses, then God, then the law and the temple. And, and so when he addresses those charges, when he goes before the Sanhedrin, he goes before them and he starts with God. Why? Because that's the greatest offense. I mean, like if you were convicted of, of jaywalking and murder, you're not going to go in and start off with the jaywalking. You're going to start off with, oh, I'm, you're going to deal with a murder charge. Why? Because that's the most serious. And they charged him with blaspheming God. Why? Because he said, Jesus of Nazareth is Messiah. He had bought into it. All, all in. I mean, he was all in. Why? Because in that culture, at that time, to buy into Jesus of Nazareth, you had to be all in. There was no superficial buy-in. There wasn't a partial buy-in. They knew the moment that they said yes to Jesus of Nazareth being Messiah, that their lives were on the line. And so, so those were the charges. And if you remember, Stephen, we got introduced to him back in chapter 6 as a man full of faith. And we saw the object of that faith was, was what? It was, it was God's Word, it was God's sovereignty, and it was God's Messiah. Uh, we saw He was full of the Spirit. That means He was yielded to God's Word and His plan. And, and we have a lot of different definitions of what it means to be filled with the Spirit in our culture, especially the church culture. But that's what it means to be yielded to God's Word and His plan. And so over and over, you're going to see this pattern start to develop. Uh, it starts really here, uh, as this text we look at today, of how God refers to people who deny Jesus as people who are resistant to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's job is to what? Point people to Jesus. So people don't reject you when you tell them about Jesus. You know, when you're trying to tell people about Jesus of Nazareth and they, they reject, they're rejecting the Holy Spirit. And so, um, he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was also full of uh, wisdom. And that starts what? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Understanding that God's over everything. Not your God, right Jeff? 
Not our personal version of God. The God of the Bible. The God of Israel. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. The God of Jacob. The one true living God. But He was also full of grace. He extended grace to people. He extended grace. The moment you come to Christ, the moment you acknowledge your sin, He gives us grace. And sometimes we forget that and we're afraid to acknowledge. We're afraid if I tell Him this, like it's going to make Him... Listen, there is nothing that He will not forgive except rejection of Him. And that's why He told the story of the prodigal. And we need to be people of grace. There may be people in our life that have hurt us, that have done painful things to us, but we cannot withhold forgiveness from them and grace for them because we've been given grace. And so God has continued to teach me this principle of... And and listen, once you give grace, it becomes easier to give grace. Because you realize grace has been given to you. Stephen was a man full of grace. He realized God was gracious to him. Why? Because he knows the history of his people. He knows the rejection that they've had. And to be accepted and received by Messiah of Nazareth and for him to receive that, he was more than willing to say, Father, forgive them. Don't hold it against them. He was full of grace. He was also full of power. He was full of power to do whatever God wanted him to do, wherever God wanted him to do, whenever God wanted him to do it. He was full of power. But he was a man of courage too. He was a man of courage. He was a man of courage who, who whatever God wanted him to do, he was going to do. Because remember, courage is not the absence of fear, but it's weighing that something's more important than the fear inside of you. And that's what he knew. And then finally, he was a man full of God's presence. He, he was a man that displayed God's presence wherever he went. And I wonder if people say that about us. When, when people encounter us, do, do they see something different than the world around us? Because it's very easy to get sucked into the vortex of the world. And the only way we can be different, guys, is you spend time in this to fall in love with Him more, abide with Him, walk with Him. As you do that, you are Holy Spirit filled. Because you're yielded to His Word. Because you know, because you have wisdom, which is the fear of the Lord, that when you don't follow His Word, it's not going to be good. It never is for His people. It's a history of that. And Stephen lays that out today. Stephen had these charges made against him as, as he is one of the seven chosen. And he's preaching. He's teaching. And he's only been a believer for a few weeks, a month maybe. So it's not longevity here. He's preaching and teaching the Word. And he's brought before the Sanhedrin. And they they bring up these charges of blaspheming God, blaspheming Moses, blaspheming the temple, and blaspheming the law. And last week we looked at his defense. He was a bold witness, we said, as he defended the faith. And he's a biblical witness. And he, he starts off by taking them back through the history, going mentioning Abraham. Why is this important? 
One of the charges probably against him, not necessarily a, a, a law charge, but just one of the reasons they didn't like him, he was a Hellenistic Jew. He came from outside of Israel. He was not Palestinian. He was Alexandrian probably. He was Hellenistic. He, he came from outside of there and they tended to look down on Jews that were from outside of Israel for not being there. And so he brings them back to Abraham to say, hey, Abraham came from Mesopotamia. He was a pagan worshiper. He was brought here by God's grace, this land that you now live in. Remember that? And he said, you know, the new covenant, Jesus of Nazareth is not against God, it's from God. And he affirmed God, his love for God, the God of Abraham, the God of Israel. He affirmed his love for the God of glory. Remember we saw in Psalm 29. Seven times in that psalm, he says this phrase, David does, the voice of the Lord goes forth. Seven times. The voice of the Lord. And he's he's communicating something to his listeners there. He's saying, I'm one of you. God moved Abraham to Israel and I'm one of the people. He talks about our father. I'm with you in this. And it was about a promise. He said Abraham didn't get one foot of possession in the land. It was never about a possession. It was about the promise. And then we saw how he unfolds the story and he goes through Joseph. And why was that important? Because here he introduces for the first time, he starts the indictments talking about Israel's indictments. Why? The patriarchs rejected Joseph. God said, this is my chosen one to deliver this family. The family's going to serve him. And what did the brothers do? They tried to kill him. They wanted to kill him. But they sold him into slavery. So he was rejected. But then what? The second time he came, he redeemed his people. You'll see a theme there. And it's not a theme that I think Stephen really... You know, Stephen didn't go sit up in a, a study and write out this sermon. The Holy Spirit came. Why? Because over in Luke... I think it's either I think it's 2115. He said, Don't worry about what you're going to say in front of people. When you get there, I'll give you the words to say. And he did. He gave him those words. But Israel had a, a history of rejecting God's messengers and his plan. But God's sovereign. And he talked about Joseph being the chosen one. And Stephen is saying, I believe in the God of Abraham. He's a sovereign God, and I'm here trusting in Jesus of Messiah, as of Nazareth as Messiah, because He is God's chosen one. And I don't want to make the same mistake the fathers made. And so today, as he goes into verse 18 through 53, we see that he's not only a bold witness and a biblical witness, but he's also a faithful witness. Why? Because he lays out the unfaithfulness of Israel in rejecting God's plan over and over and over. And what he really does is he shows, you accuse me of blaspheming God? No, you blaspheme God by rejecting His plan. You accuse me of blaspheming Moses? You blaspheme Moses because you don't even follow what Moses told us to do. Moses told you a prophet is coming that's going to be like me. And you've rejected his message. You accuse me of blaspheming the law. You violate the law. 
and you blaspheme it. You accuse me of violating the temple. You've made the temple an idol. It was never supposed to be the end all. God is the end all. And so he goes through and he basically flips every indictment against himself on them. And he makes this defense because he's a faithful witness of Jesus of Nazareth and he's a faithful witness of God. So like last time, we're going to kind of work through the text as we go along instead of just read it all. And so start with me in verse 18. And it says, well, we'll go back to 17 just to bring in, as the time of the promise drew near, the promise made to Abraham, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. So here's the scene. They're in Egypt. Joseph has saved the people from the famine. And now they keep multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. They're in Goshen, which is a, a little suburb of Egypt. And all of a sudden, the Pharaoh that liked Joseph and was favorable to Joseph is no longer on the scene. Another Pharaoh comes up and he doesn't remember. And that's the way leaders of the world are. <laughs> They have short memories. They have short memories. And he says, verse 18, until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. How do you not know the guy who saved your whole country? It almost sounds a little bit, David, like, well, no, but it sounds a little bit like they rewrote history. Do we understand what they do? This is why... You see what I'm saying? How people forget history? Because they, well, we can't do that. We can't remember that. We take that away. Verse 19, He dealt shrewdly with our race, and He forced our fathers to expose our infants. What? you got to go back to Exodus to get the full picture. They're throwing the babies in the Nile River. You know what's in the Nile River? Crocodiles. They're throwing these kids in the Nile. They don't care. They're killing babies so that they would not be kept alive. In fact, that Pharaoh ordered all, all Israeli boys thrown in the river. At this time, Moses was born. And he was beautiful in God's sight. That means God, God's blessing was on him. His blessing was on him. Moses was God's sovereign deliverer. He was, a, he was the one that... And here's Stephen presenting Moses. Now, he's not blaspheming Moses. He's about to affirm him in a lot of different ways. And he says, And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. So, no coincidence that his mother and father went against Pharaoh and instead of having their baby thrown in the Nile, they put him in a, a little, little bitty uh, mini boat, a little tar and pitch boat there. No coincidence that Pharaoh's daughter of all people was down at the Nile that day only one of the most powerful people in that world who picked him. And then, guess who gets to nurse him? Who gets to tell him about his history? Who gets to raise him for a while 
teaching him about his people. Yeah, his mom. No coincidence. No accidents. It's God's sovereign plan. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. This was a very educated Israeli. And you know what's crazy? All of his other people were slaves. Every other Israeli was a slave except for this guy. Talk about being lucky. Hitting the jackpot. He got picked out of that. And it says, he was mighty in words and deeds. He was mighty in the way he could speak. He was mighty in what he could do. So is Stephen blaspheming Moses? No. He's saying, Moses was great. This guy was awesome. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. Whoa, wait a minute. He's even acknowledging that he didn't let all this stuff go to his head. This guy went out and acknowledged his brotherhood with the slaves. Who does that? I mean, he didn't care. He went down there to be among his brothers. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man. That's God right there. Obedient and God. He is a godly man. Okay? He goes out. He saw this brother being wrong. He, defend, he had defended the oppressed man and he avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Now, he has struck down one of the very people that rescued him and gave him all this access to education, power, money. Because Moses knew that it didn't come from those people. Because he had a mom that taught him where it came from. And he knew about the one true living God. And it says, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. Stephen is expositing the Old Testament. This guy knows his Bible. And he's expositing God's explanation of what was going on. That Moses went in there, he's right, thinking he was going to start a revolution and lead his people out. Why do you think he thought that, by the way? From his mama. What? From his mama. Well, his mama taught him about his people and they're being oppressed. Did God give Joseph dreams? Do you think God had not put it... It said God put it on his heart, right? He felt this deep thing inside of him that says, God raised me up for a reason. God put me in this place for a reason. You ever think about about yourself? It's not your money. It's God's money. It's not your position of power. It's God's placed you there. We got to remember who we are. We're His. Moses knew he was his. Stephen's holding up all these ideals of Moses. And he says, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling. And he tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? So not only is he a deliverer one day, he's now a peacemaker. Think about that. 
He was God's sovereign deliverer, peacemaker. Does that sound like somebody else you know? You see, not only is he defending Moses, he's picturing Jesus for them. But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside. Now you've got to understand, that probably was on penalty of death that he did that. This guy was a slave putting his hands out against Moses who was of the royal family. You did not do that as a slave. And then he made this statement, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? You know how a guy like that could say something like that? It was satanic. Satan always rejects God's anointed. He said, do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? By the way, you don't read it here, but if you go back and read the account in Exodus, you know what Moses did with the body? Yeah. Why did did Moses hide it? Because he risked being killed. He was not dumb. If you're going to start a revolution, you've got to be able to be alive to lead it. So he hid the body, but this guy's saying, hey... The guy probably saw him do it. Or somebody saw him do it. And he goes, do you want to kill me? This guy's saying, I know what you did. He's wielding power to say, I know what you did yesterday and I'll use it against you. That's how he felt emboldened to do that. And when you worry, guys, here's a, here's a side point. When you worry more about what people think than what God thinks, that's when you start getting in trouble. Amen. Now, At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian where he became the father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, I don't know if you've ever thought that. How many years did God say it would be that they would be in in Egypt? 400. How many years were they in Egypt? 430. Makes me wonder, Moses here may have stepped out too quick. Maybe Moses in his own, even though God had called him. Remember how Joseph said, you're all going to bow down to me? Um, kind of wielded that to the people, to his brothers as a young guy. And here Moses maybe stepped out too soon. And instead of doing it in 400 years, it ends up being 430. Why? Because he fled to the desert for 40 years. He fled to the desert. They rejected him when he did it in his own strength. Because he, he, he went out and he killed that guy in his own strength. But they still rejected him. And he says, Now when forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire and a bush. And when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and he dared not look. He's holding up the humility of Moses. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy ground. I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning. And I've come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand 
of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out performing wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to you, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Moses was a foreshadowing of Jesus. Like Jesus, he came from among the people. Like Jesus, he came from a high place to come to live among the people and say, I'm going to deliver you. He was a deliverer. He was rejected. But by rejecting Moses, the people rejected God. Stephen actually honored Moses and believed in the one Moses foretold about. So who really is blaspheming Moses? It's these people. If you go back to Deuteronomy 18.15, you see it. And by the way, back in Acts chapter 3 when Peter's preaching, he reminds him of the same thing. In 3.22, the same quote from Deuteronomy, God's going to raise up from among you the one that Moses foretold about. Deuteronomy 18.15. So Israel is the real blasphemer. The fathers. They have a history of rejecting God's leaders. True? True? And Stephen is saying, you're accusing me of blaspheming Moses? You blaspheme Moses here. Then he goes on. This is the one, verse 38, who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai. What happened at Mount Sinai? The law. And with our fathers, he received living oracles. Why is God's word living? Because it's from God. Remember Hebrews? Says what? The word of God is living, it's active, it's sharp, it's discerning. The living oracles, he's talking about the law. So now he moves from. He's, He's defended against the blasphemy against God, against blasphemy against Moses. Now, he's going into their charge against blaspheming against the law. He says, he received living oracles to give to us. He's saying, I believe in the law. Our fathers refused to obey him. Whoa. Now he's, now he's saying, not only did they reject him as a leader, they rejected the oracles of God. They refused to obey, and he tells how. They thrust him aside, and in their hearts, they turned to Egypt. Egypt was always symbolic of sin. Saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. Egypt worshipped cows. Did you know that? That was one of their many gods. So when he says they turned from God to Egypt, they said, Aaron, make for us golden cows to represent God. As for this Moses who had led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. How long has he, had he been gone? Forty days. What did he do in Egypt? How quickly they forget the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. They've forgotten already. Do we do that? We forget what God does for us? Do we turn to Egypt? when you had rock bottom, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> they made a calf in those days. They offered a sacrifice to the idol. And they were rejoicing in the works of what? Their hands. Do we do that? 
Do you think technology makes us worship our hands? Do you think we think we're something? But God turned away and He gave them over to worship the host of heaven. You know where else you read that word gave them over? You see it in Romans chapter 1. To worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me to me slain beast and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Rephan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Do you know what he's saying there? He's, uh, he's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting from Amos. And what he's saying is, you know, the new covenant is not against the law. Our fathers longed for Egypt over the law. They were given the law. They rejected the law. Instead, they wanted to turn to Egypt and worship an idol in direct contradiction to what? The law. They didn't want the law. They refused to obey. They turned to idols. They violated God's law. They have a history of rejecting God's Word. God's law is synonymous with God's Word. It is His Word. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. God's law is His Word. And Israel has a history of rejecting it. And whether you go back to Hosea 4, Deuteronomy 17, 2 Kings 17, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, Amos, they all talk about when the people turned to idols, they rejected God. He gives them up. Every time they turn to idols, He gives them up. Which is right out of Romans chapter 1 which is right what we see happening in our culture. We turn to idols. We worship ourselves. And in Romans 1, it says you have a sexual revolution that leads to a homosexual revolution that leads to a debased mind to where you say, oh, if you're a guy, doesn't matter. You can believe you're a girl. And we have to accept that. It's not only something that we're saying, we're codifying it into law. Think about how ridiculous that is. It doesn't apply in any other realm except that realm. And listen, you think I'm... Go on social media tonight and put, a man is a man. He's born biologically a male. And that's the way God said it. And that's the way it is. Put that on social media and see what happens. You open up the floodgates. They won't even probably let you put that. They'll probably ban you from it. Why? Because it's a debased mind. So Stephen honored the law. Stephen honored God. They were the ones that rejected. And finally, he goes into the temple. Verse 44, Our fathers had the tent of witness. That was the purpose of tabernacle and tent and the uh, temple. Was to be a witness of what God had done. That's why he told them, I want you to put Moses or Aaron's staff in the Ark of the Covenant. I want you to put copies of the law in the covenant. I want you to put some manna. This is what God has done. It was a witness 
of God. It wasn't a place to go be with God. It was to be witness of the one true living God. No tabernacle or temple could house God. Solomon said that when he dedicated the temple. He said, heaven can't even contain you. Stephen honored the temple. He said, our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God. He asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob, but it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in the houses made by hands, as the prophet says. And then he goes back and he quotes from the Old Testament. He goes back and he, he, he quotes from uh, Isaiah 66. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? What is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Think of the richest guy in the world. The richest guy in the world. I don't care how much money you have in this room. I don't think any of us in here can hold a candle to, uh, let's say, Donald Trump and all the money he has, right? Can you imagine going to Donald Trump, Teddy, and saying, hey, I'm going to build you a house, Donald. I'm going to build you a house. You're going to do what? What kind of house are you going to build me? I've got all these resources. And that's just a human illustration of how ridiculous it is to, to think that you could build a place that would house the one true living God. And yet, God allowed Himself to have a place as a testimony of His people to worship. And it says, the Most High doesn't dwell in these houses. He says, heaven's my throne, earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? And basically saying, I, I honor the temple, but the temple, don't overemphasize the significance of the temple. It was merely a testimony of, of a witness to God. God ordained Moses as a leader. He ordained the law for a purpose and the temple as a pattern. But guys, that wasn't the point. The point of all of those was to point forward to Jesus of Nazareth. And so verse 51, he says, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears people. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Go back and look at the history. You see them. The people killed the prophets and they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. You stiff-necked people, you uncircumcised people, you resist the Holy Spirit. You know what he's saying? You're guilty. You're guilty. Not a way to win friends and influence people. But he was, he was bold. He was faithful. He was a faithful witness because you know who he was doing that to? To the people that held their life in his hands at that moment. Because they didn't really. He knew who held his life in his hands. He knew it was God. And he knew if God wanted him to lay his life down, he was really ready and willing because he trusted him. So, I go back to the phrase I had you write out a week ago as we close. 
I am fully surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I am His. Anything, anywhere, anytime. Or anytime, anywhere. Anything, anytime, anywhere. How could He say that? Let me give you a, a, something Jesus said in Mark 8. Calling the crowd to Him. This is not second level discipleship. He called the crowd to Himself and His disciples. So He's telling this to the crowd. Don't miss that. He said to them, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for My sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Whoever is ashamed of Me and My words in this adulterous and sinful generation of Him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father with His holy angels. That's how I can sign that sheet of paper right there. Because it's not about me. It's about Him. It's about who He is that I can entrust myself to Him with anything He asks me to do, anywhere He asks me to go, anytime He wants me to do it. Now, do I fail in that? Of course I do. But that's my desire. That's my prayer. Lord, let me be that guy. Stephen was that guy. He made the ultimate sacrifice. But lest you think he's some super spiritual guy, he's just like you and me. He's just like you and me. But he was all in. He was all in. And that's the whole point of Acts. These were all-in people. You cannot be a partial disciple. He will not let you stay there. He'll remove you from the face of the earth if you're His. Why would He leave you? You're a terrible witness if you're a partial disciple. Seriously. He's not going to leave you here. If you're going to walk in partial obedience to Him continually, He'll just bring you home. Why would He let you stay here and ruin His witness? Really? That's the kind of God you want to present to people? Oh, yeah, I love Him, but I'm not doing this for Him. No way. No way. Is that a tough message? Yes. But it's the message Jesus preached. It's a message Peter and John preached. And now it's a message Stephen preaches. And he lived a life that demonstrated he believed it. What about us? What are we going to do with it? So, Father, thank You for this time. Thank You for the reminder of our servant Stephen. Golly, what a great picture of a man fully surrendered to You. Let that be our desire, Father. Please help us to be those kind of men as we leave here that people see. Let us not be afraid to be a witness of Jesus. Let us not be afraid to talk to people about the one true living God. Because our culture, Lord, is, is going down the toilet and they need to hear from people that know You. So I pray for these guys today. Pour out Your Spirit on us in a way that we would be filled. Let us, Lord, surrender to Your Word, surrender to Your will, and let us testify to the one true living God and His Messiah, Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.